Hi everybody, welcome to the Fantasy Animation Podcast. It's Alex here. I just have a quick note to say before the start of this episode to explain a few things. What you're about to hear is our Valentine's Day special where Chris and I focus on Disney's Lady and the Tramp. It was recorded a while back and we fully anticipated releasing it on Monday the 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day itself. However, since that recording, there have been some developments behind the scenes within the UK university sector, which has meant keeping to our release schedule as planned has become somewhat difficult. On Monday the 14th, and for the next few weeks, university lecturers up and down the country are on strike. The strike has been called by UCU, the University College Union, of which Chris and I are both members. But for various complicated reasons to do with local branches and union bylaws, we have ourselves a situation where Chris is technically on strike and I technically am not. We ummed and are about what to do about this. The podcast and the website are part of our academic lives, but we also do them outside of our academic lives. It reflects who we are as professionals and the research Chris and I do in our respective day jobs, but the website and podcast only keep going as a result of a lot of hard work that Chris, I, and another of other individuals give to the project voluntarily outside of those day jobs. It therefore did not feel right to continue working on the podcast and releasing this content to you at a time where colleagues around the country are forgoing pay and at a time where a digital picket line for all academics is being encouraged across all social media to recognise the sacrifice those striking are making. In a gesture of solidarity, there will be no fantasy animation podcasts nor will there be any fantasy animation blog posts during the strike period. We will resume the show and the blogs as soon as it's all over in a few weeks, so keep subscribed and we'll be back very shortly. But for now, we thought we'd leave you with the episode we had originally intended to release tomorrow, a day in advance. I do hope you all enjoy it. If you would like to find out more as to why university lecturers are striking, do visit ucu.org.uk. listeners and welcome back to another episode of the fantasy animation podcast with me alex the tramp sergeant and me chris the american cocker spaniel holiday you just didn't want to be called lady no i didn't know <laughs> fair enough um welcome to this very special valentine's day edition happy valentine's day to you all because it's valentine's day as this episode is dropping i believe it is not valentine's day when we're recording this but it would be absurd to reveal what date it is because it would ruin the spell and the mystery that we're going for here so imagine romance imagine love in the air imagine roses imagine uh romantic dinners and imagine this 1955 american kind of musical animation classic lady and the tramp which is what we're talking about this week um, Chris, I think from my perspective, this is an interesting movie to think about in relation to uh, Disney, in relation to Disney's legacy. This is the film that was out in cinemas when Disneyland first opened, so we can talk about the relationship between the movie and consumerism, um, the way the film posits romance as an idea, and indeed the way deal the film kind of is a snapshot 
oddly of kind of a mixture between 1950s society and early 20th century society, which is where the film is supposed to be set. So lots of imaginative, fantastical things for me to be thinking about. How about you this week? So I was thinking about, and I, I should, cards on the table. Um, well, I have lots of cards on a massive table because I've not seen, oh, I hadn't seen this film up until very recently. So um, in fact, a few minutes ago, in fact. Sure. So I have some things on kind of connections that I was spotting with Tom and Jerry. I was thinking about Tom and Jerry of, of the sort of 40s and 50s and, and, and thinking mm-hmm. about the idea of owners and white owners um, and the image of, of white owners and how that perhaps feeds into animations. Uh, I don't know, the, the, the way in which humans are presented in that kind of truncated form, sort of from the knees down. Uh, I have questions about why an Uncle Tom's Cabin poster is on the wall at one point. Uh, Peggy Lee and Stardom. Uh, and also, we can't talk about this film without talking um, perhaps about um, race and, and particularly Orientalism uh, as a lens maybe through which to, to look at some of these anthropomorphic characters. But I have nothing to say about anthropomorphism this week, which you'll be yeah. pleased to hear. We've, we've decided that maybe anthropomorphism is the new it's all about animation, and we've been doing it quite a few times on the podcast. So if we mention anthropomorphism, because we could, yeah. and I actually have an argument about this movie and its place within Disney's sort of anthropomorphic register that we could get onto but if we end up going down that road let's try and uh, let's kind of put that as the full stop for it for the time being yeah. and see if we can have a few podcasts where we don't mention anthropomorphism yeah or create a drinking game and every time Alex does mention anthropomorphism <laughs> take a take a, a Valentine's Day uh, sip uh, yeah Valentine's Day drinking game indeed um, right well where do we start with this one it's 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 an odd movie I don't think it's the movie people will think opened the year the, the, the month Disneyland opened yeah. or, the, or the month yeah. before Disneyland opened I think people would likely think that's going to be something like Cinderella which was a few years before that it's in the middle of the 1950s it's in a sort of in between two eras film and it tells the story um, based on a, on a I think a magazine article from what we were reading beforehand of a kind of it's sort of a nominal love story between Lady, this kind of um, house pet from yep. the, the upper side of the tracks, the, the wealthy part of town, and the tramp, this kind of uh, lovable rogue, uh, collarless um, uh, dog who sort of um, who's a stray who wanders around sort of place to place. It's sort of a love story about those two, and we can talk about that, but it's kind of also a sort of broader story about um yeah about kind of lots of different animals within the world of as i say 20th century america the film's nominally set in 1909 but it's a bit temporally in flux there yes, are yes. there are horses and carts but there are also uh italian restaurants uh they don't seem to have a television but they do seem to have pet stores and and muzzles and and these kinds of things so yes. it's a film a very domestic film in many ways, but because it's told largely from the point of view of the animals surrounding this world, there's also a certain kind of fantastical quality to it. Um, yeah, that's just kind of set up, right? Yeah. So for me, I'm interested in this idea of the tran- the transition because you'd seen it before, and and I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah, and I, I used to watch it as a kid quite a lot. And I was trying to. I was trying to place the film. So okay, this is mid 1950s, as you say. We've got the backdrop of of. Um, theme parks and perhaps the expansion of, of Disney as a media conglomerate, mm-hmm. perhaps the first sort of stages of that. And of course, soon after would be TV and everything. Um, but in terms of the eras, so if this is the 50s, the the quote-unquote golden age, the quote-unquote, um, or the transition between the golden age and the middle years wouldn't happen for another 10 years, 10, 15 years, given 
the transition between those two periods is often um, signaled by the, the, the death of Disney himself. But I suppose this film is very much of the 1950s. If we think about um, Cinemascope, so the first um, animated feature to, to be in Cinemascope. So it's very, very rebel without a cause of that, of that sort of period. Uh, and I think that actually raises bigger questions around how... And there were, I was reading about how the film sort of has to restructure. There were two versions of the film, uh, an academy ratio and a widescreen, and how that meant the film essentially had to be restructured in terms of its use of space. Okay. So it's not just there is more space. Uh, animators now have have stuff to do with it. They enter a creative bargaining with the idea of, of space. But in terms of that transitional element, I thought, uh, and maybe it's, it's, it's painting with too broad a brush, but we have... Lady is this refined character from the right side of the tracks, and then we have the tramp as the rough character from the wrong side of the tracks. And the film is, as you say, a nominal love story between the uh, the collision between those two characters. But I was trying to make perhaps haphazard connections to style and thinking about a refined style versus a, a more rough and, and caricatured style. And there was something in the uh, portrayal of the aforementioned proprietor of the Italian restaurant. He, he felt like a character from a, just a different Disney movie. Sure. Um, the way that he's drawn versus... I laughed in the film at the moment where he he appeared and I laughed when the baby's head is first um, revealed because they are two totally different animated styles. Sure. One looks like a painting, a, a, a sort of photoreal painting. The other one is this exaggerated caricature. So I was trying to think about the tradition or the, the pull between tradition and, and modernity versus the refined and the rough within those characters and maybe trying to make connections to to a film that sits between two potential registers. Yeah, it's it, that's really interesting. I had not thought about style at all, but I did. God, the baby's really creepy. The baby. We'll get to where the baby plays in the plot in a second, but there is a baby in it, and it's a still image, isn't it? When we first see it, it looks yeah. like the baby's dead. Super weird. Let's, it's let's, super let's, weird. Yeah. But but and I, and I'm interested in that thing about style because I also think this is an interesting movie in terms of Disney's timeline. So I'm not going to read all the films that have come around here, but if, you, if the rough timeline right for Disney history, we've done this on the podcast before, is Golden Age. We're talking Pinocchio. We're talking Snow White. We're talking Bambi. We've got yeah. the war package films that no one's ever heard of, like uh, Make Mine Music and The Three Calabreras and Fun, Fun yeah, yeah. Fancy Three. And then in 19... I'll just do the one in the 1950s. Nine, Cinderella, 1950. Alice in Wonderland, 1951. Peter Pan, yes. 1953. Lady and the Tramp, 1955. Sleeping Beauty, 1959. Those are the ones from the 50s. And I think that might encapsulate some of the weirdness of this movie, and that we've got three movies beforehand, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. Cinderella, very technically sophisticated, yes. one of the most watched Disney movies of all time, very much packaged and sold within the, within the, as within the sort of Disney universe as a key text. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan feature occasionally, they're big, you know, based on classic fantastic yes. fantasy yeah. texts, but they're a little bit more weird. They're rough and ready. There's, there's an anarchic, drawn, graphic... Yep. satirical quality to both of those movies that, yep. it, that is much more at home that the, the Italian restaurant guy belongs in Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan yes, uh, yes. and the baby belongs in Cinderella I guess is where yeah, I'm getting yeah, that. Yeah. And, but we've also got various different registers of fantasy because actually this movie of all of those from the 1950s is the most domestic it's the most yes, it is. it's the quote unquote least fantastical although it features lots of talking cats and dogs and beavers and 
uh, alligators. Yeah, and, not for a while though. There is a, the, the large. I, I quite enjoyed the first sort of ten minutes of the film. Which that's also I didn't enjoy the remaining hour and five. No, but. I know. So this is this is where I think we're going to fail the drinking game. Is I think it is important to talk about anthropomorphism with this movie because if you think cheers. about it, yeah, <laughs> cheers everybody, happy Valentine's Day. Is that I actually think this is the first Disney movie that establishes a paradigm that's true of a lot of animated movies since, which is the when dogs are around people, yes, they're dogs, yes, yes. and when they're yeah. not around people, they're not. And I think that's such an important convention to talk through because, as I say, if you think about this beforehand. We've had we've had films like uh, Pinocchio, where we have like Honest John, who, as you would say, is more of a anth. What's the term you like to use on Therian- this podcast? Therianthropy. That's because we're, we're all about get- increasing our listenership on this podcast. Yeah. By, na- by narrowing the terms <laughs> we use, yes. Um, so my my yeah, and we we call lots of things anthropomorphism when we shouldn't. We should sort of think about the relationship between humanity and, and the animal or the non-human as a continuum. And therianthropy is the sort of they might as well be human. Yeah, absolutely. So, Honest John, uh, Jiminy Cricket, uh, mm. animals that may as well they were be in clothes. They were in clothes. Then we have Dumbo and Bambi, uh, films where elephants are elephants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, deer are deer. Bambi, they all talk, but there's no... The humans are very much out of sight, yeah. out of mind. Uh, then we've got things like uh, Donald Duck uh, packages, Mickey Mouse packages, uh, Cinderella. We have like Gus the Mouse who wears clothes. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. We've gone over, and there's lots of anthropomorphic characters within a fantastical framework. And then we have this is the first yep. movie where we get something that is true of a lot of film sense, which is the classic when Lady and Tramp are around and when around people. They behave like realistic dogs. They bark. They, 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 their movement is dog-like, and then when they're not around them, they speak in American accents and communicate with one another. Okay, so that's that's interesting. There are two, I think there are two kind of colliding genealogies, or maybe one, one, one animated genealogy of which this film kind of sits. If we think about the 1950s, and as I said, I was, I was thinking about Tom and Jerry and, and the character of, of, or the famous character of Mammy Two-Shoes, this sort of racialized other housekeeper who we only see from the, the knees down. And I'd... I'd recently written a a chapter on this character for for a book um, edited by Catherine Wheatley and Elizabeth Ezra on shoes, on shoes in film. And and one of the most enduring images within Golden Age Hollywood animation is a pair of shoes, slippers, socks, and it's through this character. Um, They wouldn't be from The Wizard of Oz, would it, Chris? Oh, well, the front cover of the book is a picture of the ruby slippers. There we are, can relax. Yeah, Um, (laughs) um, uh, and so this... um, kind of representation this Mammy Two-Shoes character of course offers or invites bigger questions around the way that racialized bodies are presented the sort of tropes of empire upon which uh, upon which popular cartoons at the time and unfortunately still today still lean um, but there's also I think when these when these Tom and Jerry shorts were then revisited or or sort of put on television, subsequently that character was edited out or it was revoiced um, and the character himself got faded out and was replaced by essentially the the um, human characters in this film, a sort of young um, heterosexual white couple, right. young professionals, that sort of thing. And there are... So that's one, that's one sort of interesting connection, this idea that Tom and Jerry... I was thinking about those cartoons because I was thinking about the representation of humanity, this sort of truncated image of... The, the home space that is very much from yeah. kind of cupboard doors and knees down and the anarchy that unfolds at that level of, of the of the space. And do you think what do you think there's some identity politics to think about in relation to that or um... identity in the case of of how you use if if animation is in, in itself a sort of metonymical or rhetorical medium because yeah. very little has to stand in for quite a lot. Mm-hmm. 
then I would say that plays out quite nicely in the Mammy Two Shoes character generally because a lot has to be signalled by her shoes. You have often slippers, the bottom of a, a brush or a mop, um, and often her socks have patches on. Um, and so lots, it, lots right. is connoted by sure. just feet. And this film does do that, isn't yeah. it? There's slippers represent people. And, and uh, silhouettes. Yeah. Uh, silhouettes. So, okay. um, and the way that affluence is presented in the film yeah. is, is often through... So I've put kind of humans from the knees down, lots of stuff unfolds in kind of silhouette, and that wealthy, the wealthy part of town that you mentioned in the, in the introduction is, is very much connoted through through the dog's view of all these people milling around in their house and all, all the sort of um, the, the, the feet and expensive shoes that they have to navigate as they move around the space that is suddenly yeah. filled with these people enjoying a, a party. And it's interesting what characters get we get to see and what we don't. I think we do get... I could be wrong, but I think we did get very, very fleeting views of the central couple. Oh, yeah, yeah, very. Um, Darling and Jim Deer, because that's what Lady thinks they're called, because that's all she hears, right? It's yeah, Jim Deer yeah. and Darling. Um, I think we might get very fleeting shots of them, but I would struggle to be able to draw or picture what they look like now. The only characters that we do get sort of close-ups on and an attempt to see the face are either villainous characters so um uh, so i've got a question i've got aunt, a question about villains because i've put is there a villain in this film per se well aunt, aunt sarah aunt sarah is misguided and, and the rat the rat and, <laughs> and, and the cats but we, have, we haven't yeah. come to them yet oh dear um and to an extent the pound but not really yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah. as much as i thought in terms of where i thought the film was going to yeah, go yeah, yeah so we only get aunt sarah we get a long uh, close up on as soon as she sort of enters the story because she acts as this kind of grotesque well this, this alienation yeah. device between Lady and her owners in that she instantly distrusts Lady she doesn't see things from the dog's point of view she's yep. worried the dog's going to hurt a newborn baby and, and that kind of sets in chain the plot that, 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 um, that follows um, plus she's got two cats again we're going to come to it yes we are um, so and we also get protracted shots of like the Italian, uh, what the two owners of the Italian restaurant, uh, we should give them names because the film. So t Tony is, is not the, respectful to them. No, so we should try to be. So the, um, Tony is the owner and chef of, right, of um, Tony's Italian restaurant, and then I believe his sort of right hand man is Joe. So basically, in let, in your, these are characters that are othered within the story. Either they're othered racially, you know, being these are Italian grotesques, um, or they're othered in terms of they're not. Uh, heroic characters. Almost the film portrays a sense of white hegemon hegemony by by the use of these kind of metonymic stand-ins for, yeah. for faces and bodies. Power is represented in the movie and normalcy through being off-screen. Yes, yes. Yeah. So so that that's that's one tradition, I think, that sort of truncated and this this spins off of your point around the registers of performance where the the animals behave like one thing when they're being animals, and then yeah. when the humans go, they disappear and then turn into something else. So that's sort of why truncated white owner in a rich house um, is very, felt very Tom and Jerry to me sure. in the way that um, you're right that the, the the parents, if you like, that the the main couple in the in the story who own Lady are given very little by way of kind of physiognomic recognition. You get fleeting, and actually they're not really. I wouldn't say they're animated. They're often very kind of. Lacking in expression, you often see yeah. them very from the side or from behind, so very, very kind of truncated in that sense. Um, a similar tactic is used 
pretty much from Toy Story onwards, as you say. So that's um, interesting, isn't it? Because, well, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned Toy Story because I couldn't help think, isn't this essentially Toy Story, this this film? <laughs> I mean, it's a story about yeah, yeah. one character who considers themselves to be kind of the head of the household yes. gets displaced by... Um, Another Sid, Sid. Uh, yeah, Sid <laughs> or well, something like well, that. Well, yeah, in the yeah. film he's replaced by Bud Light. In, in, in Toy Story, it's Buzz Lightyear, and this is oh, a see, newborn yeah. child. Yeah, Lady loses her influence and status within the film. She then has to, then she finds herself in the big, wide, threatening world with a mismatched person who she comes to find actually they have common ground. And in the end, the home is restored by the two of them coming together and forming a kind of partnership. Yes, that's true. And actually, yes, you're yes, you're right. <laughs> and, and while the parent while the while the adult while the adults aren't in the room, everyone talks and when they're not they pretend to be dogs and Yeah. So like it's very it, Toy Story in many ways is riffing on a lot of rhetorics of this movie. So uh, when well we, of movies like Well this. I was going to say so when we say yeah. it's very like very very like Toy Story, it, it is but I wonder whether do we mean it's very... I mean, it, of course it is like Toy Story, but do we mean that it's it's like a, a, a lot of films like this? My go-to reference is something like uh, The Indian in the Cupboard. Yeah. A non... Definitely not problematic film. Sure. Uh, but that similar sort of, from a child's perspective, that speaks to, to children's imagination and obviously... Um, yeah. Uh, fantasies of imagination and yeah what happens when the just how does the world unfold when i when i can't see it and do like to do like to play with i think one it, one it's to do with technology is as i said that, that if you look closely at toy story all of ch all of the children that come to andy's birthday party are copy paste andy's they'll have the same because the technology yeah, isn't so there that's the other thing i wanted to mention in terms of toy story that's an interesting thing as well because you say the technology is not there which I, I completely agree with you in terms of a photorealistic human yeah. that was convincing on screen was beyond Pixar's technical yeah. machinery at that point, and that's something they're keen to stress in their own kind of histories. So, which, which, but, 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 yeah. but, but by doing that, we are putting a value judgment on what kind of CGI and what does CGI animation have to look at? Yeah. Like, because yeah. you can make a human, they've done it. It just doesn't look like a certain type of human. So, I'm interested in with why aren't they in this film? Because this film. Has yeah. a has is it the similar problem in that they can make humans like Peter Pan and uh, the Mad Hatter very car or, or indeed like the Italian chefs in this yes, movie. Yes, they can do that. Yeah, and they have been doing that. But if they want to make Snow White or they want to make photorealistic characters to sit alongside these more imaginative designed dogs and cats and creatures, they yeah. have to use a, a photorealistic register, which would be extremely expensive so they probably don't do it very much yes. in this movie for that exact reason anytime they want to evoke caricature in the grotesque they can do that they can do that what they can't or they're unwilling for either technical or artistic reasons is to is to present the photo real you know to do a rope because you could put rotoscope i guess in this yes couldn't you? You which could. they used they did with snow white in places and things yes but they, but they haven't for various reasons so i think there's a, a possible answer to this is is this is the the question of a generic human and and this maybe we'll return to this when we look at the, um, the Siamese cats through the, lens, <laughs> through the lens of Orientalism. But this idea of of, of essentially racialized anthropomorphism, which is not not necessarily not true in the, in the case of the Italian 
but I think some of the things around racialized anthropomorphism as a, as a term do connect to the, the idea of kind of caricature. So racialized anthropomorphism um, in a book called Animating Difference um, by Carmen R. Lugo Lugo and Mary Kay Bloodsworth Lugo um, talk about animation, how animation transplants racial, racial sorry, and, and ethnic stereotypes in ways that sort of support and preserve the same old pedagogies of, of race and gender with the outcome being a kind of solidification of, of long-standing racial undercurrents and essentially the ideological status quo even though they're talking about characters like uh, the donkey from Shrek sure. or the, the fish in Shark Tale. They say, though animals and other non-human characters are anthropomorphized in children's animated films, these films also unfailingly racialize non-human characters in the process. That is to say, these characters are not simply transformed into some generic human, for there are no generic humans. Rather, they are inscribed, for example, as white humans, black humans, Asian humans, or Latino humans. Thus, we maintain that animal and other non-human characters undergo a kind of racialized anthropomorphism now i think a similar kind of process it, it, it the parents i would say in in Lady the tramp are, are 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 more of an approximation of generic generic humanity and so they aren't really well, kind you know, of fleshed out they're an approximation of whiteness white, yeah exactly which which is sort of which is 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 close to being, which is the only probably racial category that can afford to be gene that can, generic. That, exactly, because it's it's yeah. like air and you breathe it in all yeah, the time, yeah, as Richard yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Um, so what they what these characters or what these animators do, they kind of lean into uh, black humans, Asian humans, Latino humans. That sort of and, and the outcome becomes this caricaturing of, of Tony's Italian yeah. because they've got something essentially the the filmmakers have got something to latch onto and. And out of that then spins a series of stereotypes which then extends to some of the different characters, the, the, the pet characters in the film, um, Scottish, German, uh, Russian. Mm -hmm. um, and Peggy Lee. And uh, uh, yes, Mexican. Also come to. Mexican. Uh, there's a, let's not forget oh, yeah. there's a Chihuahua yeah, yeah, who speaks yeah, yeah, with yeah. a Mexican mm -hmm. accent. Yeah. And then there's... And, and even, even um, one of Peggy Lee's characters, so I think she voices... Um, I mean, she also she also voices the Siamese cats. There's that, but she also voices um, uh, Peg and a couple of other characters as well. Um, but there's some so there's something even even Peggy Lee's whiteness is accented. So she's performing yeah. in, in different in different voices, and so I just I just thought it was interesting is that whiteness in this film whiteness is presented as something that is massively uninspiring. And, I'll, and what you end up doing is is playing on or leaning into uh, different kinds of um, identity markers, and therefore we lean into German or Russian, yeah. um, and in some cases leaning to Mexican. And, and there's lots there's lots going on with with accented voices and, and whiteness. I think in in this film. So here's where I want to try and get interesting with this, in the sense that what do you, what do you mean? Oh, sorry, no, sorry. Continue sorry, the so, interesting. To continue to be that was very interesting, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, masterful explanation of of the of the way the film does it because I think it leads on to the point I'm trying to make, nice which save. is which is that um, I you know I, what I mean by that is that we can be very tempting to go through this movie and go right. There's a Scottish terrier at one point who's just Scottish and that's that's silly and racist and xenophobic and stupid. Yes, uh, and we'll, and we can do. In fact, let's do it now. There is a scene I'm sure everyone knows with two Siamese cat. The we oh. are Siamese scene that is one of the most racist depiction. A, uh, you know, uh, Asian phobic 
uh, depictions on screen. It's up there with the racist crows from Dumbo uh, and any other Googleable thing that you want to Google that's within the pack catalogue of Disney. It's absolutely atrocious and unforgivable. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think all of that should be said. Where I'm trying to go with is that, right, so, I mean, are we going to spend an hour doing that or are we, are we going to try and do something with all that Mm. and the one thing I do think this film throws up that is a possible source of debate or complication to any this is a film about white supremacy and it celebrates the household and 1950s Mm. which it does in the last shot but in the same way that melodramas from the 1950s in the last shot often celebrate a culture but for the previous hour and a half hour and a half have spent the entire time critiquing it I think we can complicate the movie in that what the movie is doing, perhaps by accident, is that by establishing this register of dogs speak to other dogs in secret and they are they are basically humans in, in on all fours when humans aren't around and then when humans come back into the play they, they play to they, they almost act doggish to, to, to yeah to, it's it's never clear whether or not the the shift between speech legible speech yeah. and barking is is all from the same perspective whether yeah. the barking is where the film lapses into the human human what well, humans here yes. so they speak all the but, time but, but dogs do bark without humans there's a bit where like Tramp says oh you can have a good old bark yes. and he starts barking but that feels like a performance which yes. is interesting so they talk about and he says let's go chase some chickens let's like we're going to have fun now we're going to run around and chase some chickens and be bark dog. a lot yeah, we're and going be doggish be... but it's yeah. very much a, a game isn't it it's a thing to play and I think this relates back to conversations that we've had with uh, between us and and with people like Cat Lester on the podcast in the past about like actually what the, what they are is is children, yeah. aren't they? Is that children behave like adults when they're around other children in that they they don't behave as children they behave as human beings on a planet trying to communicate with other human beings. It's right. a it's a Rugrats canon. You know when you play with your friends when you're eight you're not thinking yeah. I'm being childlike here. You're thinking I'm being a person and I'm trying to be as best a person as I am. And then when the adults come back in the room you're required to sort of be childish. I mean Jacqueline Rose talks a lot about the performativity of childhood. You know that children perform being children because they are required to be children as part of the societal structure. Peter Pan's all about this, pretending to be children and wanting to be an abstract notion of childhood that never actually existed but is kind of inflicted upon yeah. young young people. Um, so they're children. They're, we, we, they're children in the sense that they inhabit spaces the way children do. Lady has to climb up the stairs like a baby or a toddler might to get up there in the first couple of shots. That whole th- opening coda where Lady is, is is put to bed for the first time and, and Jim Deere is very much like, yeah. just leave her. Like that that will that will resonate and it did resonate heavily with me of like, you know, that time where you're being a bit of a brat and won't go to sleep and your and your parents are getting irritated with you you know it's it, i mean that was two weeks ago Alex, uh, sure sure i mean exactly um you know <laughs> but but you know we resolved it i had a, <laughs> and we move on yeah um but yeah like so it, it, mm. they, they are they are operating at a position that i'm not saying they are surrogate children but they are operating a position outside of the society we are describing and they are looking at that society from askance and, and observations. Mm. And then the film tries to create humor or drama or interest. You know, it starts with a quote from, a, from a, uh, a, an American satirist, but I don't think the film is hugely satirical. Um, but it's certainly looking askance at the very society in which we're talking about. Yeah. The and th- characters have conversations about, oh, right, so they're going to have a child now. Like, and, and it's not celebrated. It's not... 
oh, great, white, heterosexual couple are having a child in suburbia. It's This is a threat. This is mm. a problem. This will destroy the way of life as you are enjoying it. Um, mm. Tramp makes quite a compelling case for his version of life, yep. which is a very sort of Charlie Chaplin-esque vagabond existence. Uh, and they band together with a series of other ostracized characters, including... Um, the Italian waiters who are ostracized, including yep. all these kind of out, you know, the, the dogs at the pound. So the film spends a lot of time in subversive spaces or in, or in places that aren't subversive, but looking at places that through a subversive lens. And there's one line, and I'll shut up and, and hear no, what you've no. got to say. Is that, there's a line, isn't there, where, where Tramp is coming and meeting Lady for the first time, and he's, and he's kind of winding her up because he's heard that this baby's coming and it's going to change Lady's way of life. And he's like, oh, it's all going to change now. That nice bed by the fire, going to be outside in the dog pen. And then, uh, oh, what's his name? The, the Scottish Terrier. Um, Jock, of course. Jock uh, says... Yeah, it couldn't be anything. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. It couldn't, couldn't it be more Scottish <laughs> if there was a muck in the surname? But carry on. Of course it is. Um, he says something like, get out of here, you. We don't need your mongrels and their radical ideas. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, that's very interesting. Because in a many way, this is a movie that has space for a hell of a lot more radicalism than a 1954 cartoon should do probably by accident but it's there anyway mm. thoughts yes so there are two things one one a um a thing about childhood it's it's interesting so as we as we speak we currently have um just to our well my left and your right a, a web page for the sequel <laughs> the direct to, to video sequel from 2001 which is uh lady in the tramp 2 colon scamps adventure sure. and it always it always strikes me that a lot of director video sequels are often about the children and this one is about mm -hmm. lady in the tramp's only son scamp um and it's like a lot of who we, or I assume we see is one at, of them at the he's end. Nipping at the like nipping at thing. Yeah. Oh, he's got your spirit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of these director video, director video sequels, certainly of, of, of animated classics. Let's say by Disney, which is which is an industrial sort of model that was gradually phased out in the post Disney and Pixar merger. One of the first things to to go with these lower budget director video sequels. But it's always interesting the way that they do it, kind of spin offs and, and often with the children of the main protagonist, as if to suggest that the original was devoid of that kind of childish register, that the sequel allows them to play with childhood. But actually, as you just said, that the, the, the Lady and the Tramp is as much about childhood as anything else. And actually, the, and, and the, but the way that childhood is allocated or, or values connected to childhood are allocated, it's not given over to the children. Because we don't see much of the babies at the end, no. and we also the monstrous human baby, who looks like who begins life as kind of a wood carving and yeah. then ends with this very kind of pale, yeah. pale feature um, set of features. There, the child. That's not interesting. What's interesting is how how essentially worldly dogs who are aware of the world that they live in and, and or at least their pocket of society, that bit that's yeah. bathed in sunlight rather than the bit that's further on. How how childhood feeds through those characters rather than rather than the actual 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 children. If we if we like, what does childhood mean? It's not something that just young newborns yeah. or or infants experience. Um, a childhood is a way of thinking and a way of kind of processing the world, and it is it is funneled through these two characters. Well, what I think, yeah, what what children and pets have in common, or at least these kinds of pets that are sentient. Is that they are they are they are living in a world in which whatever society is, it's happening to them and around them, yep. and they're not part of it. And that's sort of the point I'm trying to make: is that by by establishing that, 
that allows the film to occupy a space outside of and outside of the society that it is also kind of valorizing. And I'm not saying this is a radical movie. I'm not saying it's really very subversive. I'm saying that, like all, I'm just very interested in fantasy because what it's once it's imaginative rest is invested in exactly those kinds of spaces. It's the it's the it's the secret private entrance round the back of the Italian restaurant and having lunch outside, not with all the other customers. And bones are meals and all these kind of like let's flip it and let's let's make it strange and let's let's take you know those the back alleys in, as a metaphor of of consumer culture. Uh, because it's inhabiting this position of the pet, and the pet is, as I say, society is done to the pet, or it is done in the other room from the pet, yeah, yeah. and that leaves the pet or the child sort of staring aghast at what's happening. So on that note of subversion, then I suppose my first point is: is does that make the end the subversive potential of the yeah. film? Does that make the ending? Highly unsatisfactory because I was expecting yes. it not. I, I was expecting if, if if one dog was going to move into the space of the other dog, I didn't think it was going to be tramp move yeah. being recuperated well, it's, it's, into that. I've made this point so many times. I'm sorry, listeners, but it's like it's like when Dorothy says goodbye to the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion, who all of whom have been far more charismatic and interesting than anyone at home, and goes back to a bunch of people who have been nothing but beastly to them throughout the entire movie, mm. and claims this is a good thing. It's it's as unsatisfying as that. Yeah. It's like no 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 no. What should happen is that lady should go. These people were about to kind of throw me into the dungeon of the basement until I could bear children, and then I was I yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> what I should do is run away with this guy to the fields, or run away to the fields regardless mm. of guy. Um, you know uh, you know it's much more fun being the tramp. But, and, and that's it's what, much more fun yeah. to, in the movie being in the trance world. Yeah, and that's why I suppose the link to Toy Story is, is the same. Is that is that um, Woody and Buzz do get recuperated into Andy? Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. only because Andy is shown at a loss because Woody is gone, as opposed to the human characters who don't, who don't, don't seem to care about it. They don't seem to know. Well, they don't notice. They're away. They're on that's holiday, true. That's and true. they've spent the entire like it seems like about a year or so maybe like, you know we, we get the whole pregnancy kind of go by in about a couple of yeah. um, episodes don't we but basically we, we watch their behaviour turn from being attentive and, and nurturing and yeah. loving to largely dismissive and actually a little bit cruel when they like you know call yeah. lady that dog yeah. and um, the mother won't take her out for a walk because she's too busy knitting pink socks for her child and all this kind of stuff you know I don't. I don't think we're supposed to sympathise with the, with the parents. No, I don't think there. we are. I, I'm just. I'm trying to get my head around the fact that, the, the way in which, the way in which villainy is therefore ascribed to characters is through the way that they treat, the dogs. Yeah. So aunts. Okay. Which which is tr is is fine to a point. So my second point is going to was yeah, going to be, yeah. the dogs are, treated very well by the pair or lady is treated very well by the two human owners, mm -hmm. and. But and I would say treated as a sort of hybrid, both as dog but also spoiled maybe as human. Mm. Let's say mm -hmm. when what happens is that it gets tipped out of balance because Aunt Sarah comes in and treats Lady entirely like a dog. Yeah. So that means that when the Italian owners treat them like humans by going no no they don't want bones they want human meals and basically construct a whole scene in which they are yeah. heterosexual lovers yeah, not yeah. dogs. I'm not entirely sure what that scene's in because that's that they are being treated 
not as not as pets and not even as animals. They're being treated as humans, yeah. and that we're supposed to see as a is a really intra- that's supposed to be a pivot point in the film. Yeah, well, it's it's the the most iconic sequence. Yeah, from the movie, it's but the what? most it's the most famous sequence to go with the most infamous sequence being the the Siamese yeah. cat sequence. So what? So why is it that the lady that that sequence is positioned as aspirational for two reasons? The first is that the tramp gets yeah. to to achieve some level of humanity because he's being treated. Rather than you know, one of his first lines is something like waking up and let me wake up and dig out some lunch or dig out some breakfast. Yeah, and he constantly talks about life on a leash and yeah. and the restrict. So he just wants a bit of humanity, a bit of agency, and that that romantic scene gives him that. And for Lady, it's, it's the same outcome, but for the opposite reasons. She she wants to not be treated like a pet because when she was treated like a pet or an animal, that's what caused this problem in the first place. She wants it to go the other way. She wants to be. Have an intensified ladylike experience yeah. that we that she was initially or progressively accustomed to in the house before Aunt Sarah took over. So it's a very odd sequence because they both want to achieve a degree of rec- like to be treated humanely in both senses of the word. Um, but I just, so I just thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, I mean that sequence is is in, embodies all the contradictions we're yes, trying to yes, work yes, through, aren't we? Because on the one hand, as you say, it's kind of it's 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 yeah, it's it's giving them humanity. Yeah. What the tramp wants is liberty. What the tramp wants is freedom. Um, but that freedom is then expressed in that scene through the right to have a nice Italian meal at a restaurant. Yeah. So they can't they can't think of a way they can't think yeah. of a way of celebrating what not being a pet looks like without it just being the other side of the coin. A right? customer. Yeah, a customer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they go from being a pet to being a customer, which I think is the, is 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 a just a yeah, it's a contradiction. I mean, pop culture is full of is it John is it John Clute who you know says that pop culture is just inherently contradictory because it's the only way mm. that it's the only way it can be popular because for something to be popular it has to be able to to mean contradictory yeah. things to, to a to a mass audience and, and well I was going to say the, the, yeah. uh, for me the, the film then is about and this is obvious but the film is about class then because but it's it's, it's about class and accidentally about race because the film is so racist I'd yeah, say yes or or the reason it's about class when uh, this is true of the when we when we go oh things aren't about race they're about class there's something very all lives mattery about that statement the um, no it's not about race because actually it's all about if we take it back to brass text it's all really well, it, about, it can just be about both can't it or or, or the intersection but between two exactly or, yeah, yeah. there should be a term the collision like, between two yeah, yeah I mean there should be something called like intersectionality they should call it that maybe yeah. um, this but idea of they're, mul- ca- they're called uh, or Tramp calls the dogs who live in the wealthy part collards. Yes, he he. Yes, he does. And I think that's a really interesting term because to me it connotes two things. It connotes coloured. Yes. And it connotes blue collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call, yeah As in like class least. distinction. Yeah. It's a class distinction, and also, um, and it's also incredibly reminiscent of coloureds. So, yeah. so, so I I would say I'd argue then that the film is, the film is about. The film is entirely about class, and I can I live in a world where the filmmakers thought this is about class because we've got a tramp yeah, and we've yeah. got a lady, so it's about class. Um, but what that does within a sort of contemporary era of let's say uh, kind of new racism or aversive racism, it transplants. In order for the film to be about race, it goes well. It's not about race at all. It's about class. But of course, of course, implicated in that 
is a question of race. Well, if the film has any sense of a class struggle, so I think it's it's, more, it's a white yeah. class struggle. Yeah. I don't know the full introduction history, so actually uh, that statement could be wrong. But from what I can tell, the film is made by a bunch of white people who are making a story about white people, and they think therefore white people equals society, and therefore yeah. therefore this is a story about society. Yes, and and it and it's and it's ignoring race in that kind of nineteen fifties. We are ignoring race. Uh, well, you, you mentioned know, melodrama, which racism is obviously is one enacted of the, yeah. through lack of presence. Yeah, yeah. And I think the point about them being knotted that you mentioned is is absolutely right. Um, it's just interesting that the film is called Lady and the Tramp, not the White and the Other. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, and in an, and in another way, this is a a story of or it could be an, an yeah. a cross racial yeah. uh, romance as much as anything else. This is yeah. you know, there's a West Side Story element to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, in this kind of you know, one from one side of the tracks, one from the other, and 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 you know, the the the, the wealthy dogs who are her friends are in, instantly distrustful of Tramp. Yeah, because he's from because well because, because he's not he hasn't got a collar. Yeah, because he hasn't got he's uncolored. Yes, collared. He's yes, exactly. Um, um, he's not been branded. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a yeah. lot, and you know the the fact that the film chooses to begin the ladies part of the tracks and not the other way around. This yes. isn't we don't begin with Buzz Lightyear. We begin with Woody. Yes. We don't begin with the Tramp. We begin with so there's you know lots of kind of interesting formal decisions. Um, which narratively makes kind of sense. A lot of the film is, is kind of filtered and focalised through Lady. There are a couple of point of view shots. Yeah. Her when she's when, when the tramp is telling her all these stories that this is what will happen. We have the her little projections or, or imagine she fantasises about what this life is going to be like. So everything is filtered through her. So of course, narratively, as an agent of narrative, yeah. it makes perfect sense that the film will begin with her. Um, but I don't know what that then does for us. We're we're on that we're on the right side of the tracks when we watch. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that kind of does you know help us to ignore some kind of you know you could talk about this almost in terms of white privilege, right? Yeah, lady is is yeah. experiencing white privilege until the baby arrives, and then suddenly realizes that the world isn't construct that the world has been up until this point constructed around them. Yeah, and for some reason. Tramp feels the need, feels aggrieved on her behalf because she has to live like all her, all his friends. He has to live like Peg and all these other, you know. Oh my God, Lady can't be out in the rain. You know, yeah. she can't be in a muzzle. She can't be sad because she didn't get. I've got to take her to a nice Italian restaurant now. Yeah, because she's classy, Lady, as opposed to all these other girlfriends that we know here. Um, He's had so yeah 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 yeah. I I fear we could we could be descending into an intellectual abstract void if we keep going down this road. No, I just I'll let you have the final say. No, no, we can I, climb back out of it and see how we go with the rest. I of have. It. Well, I was going to to use that as a, a, a to talk about Peggy Lee. That's right, good. Going, Fine, that's, let's talk about Peggy that's Lee. That's what I, if that good. if that passes muster with where we're going with. <laughs> I this. think we should um, talk about Peggy Lee. Because, I'm excited to talk about Peggy Lee because readers uh, readers listeners won't know or well, readers as well. I don't know. Hopefully, you read the the blog as well. Sure. Um, but listeners maybe won't know that well as I found out this morning that we have lots of conversations about um, the, the Disney renaissance that may or may not make it into the finished episodes <laughs> um, but um, this they came, don't yeah they um. don't but this came up we were talking about and this did come up actually in our Aladdin episode the, the uh, 92 Aladdin um, the role of star voices and, and your kind of long-standing argument that star voices were a thing before Robin Williams, and we should really acknowledge that. And this is a really great example. Peggy Lee um, contributing songs to the soundtrack, but also voicing, I don't know, half a dozen characters. Um, so, yeah, so I had a note, a little bit of note about uh, uh, Peggy Lee voices many characters, including the mother, Darling, 
and I was going to ask one, let's talk about Peggy Lee, and two, is the fact that the surname of the family Darling linking to the fact that the previous film was Peter Pan? Is their surname Darling? I don't. It's just. I think it's just the, a, an I think interesting. That's what the, what. Um, What's, her name? What's his name? I did write it down. Jim Deer calls her darling. Right, right. We could talk about gender with that, and that he's Jim Deer, and she's she's not even got a name. She's no, darling. no, no. She's his pet name. But yes, okay, carry on anyway. Yes. No, no. So, so I just had I, I had that note really, but um, yeah, I think the 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 Peggy Lee thing is interesting because the, you mentioned in the introduction that it's sort of a musical, and there are only a few songs, and really they're given over to side characters. Yeah, well, Peggy Lee sings one as. Oh God! Yes, as um, the the Siamese cats. Yeah, that one sings two uh, sings that song as these Does two. Does she Siamese. sing it as lady as well? Is that um, so? She uh, Peggy Lee. So she's darling. There's, them, a, so there's she's, a song. You work this out. I'll just very quickly tell us. There's a song that Lady sings that's kind of very reminiscent of Jessie from Toy Story about when she loved me, which is sort of a stop. Well, it's, well, it's not called that, but it's basically a quiet, melancholic song about what are babies, what are they for, and why has this baby ruined my life, basically. Yes. Um, there's one sung by the Siamese Cats, very famous one, not going to um, do justice to it by uh, by evoking it here. Um, and the other and one... And there's the... He, he's a tramp, and I yeah, love Peg. him. Peggy Lee. Yeah. Playing Peggy Lee. Peg the dog. It's Peggy Lee. It's Peggy Lee. Yeah. Right. And the only reason I keep saying that is because one of the things... But well, it is that, Peggy Lee. <laughs> it's one, it's just, I just... One of the things that I, I do really d- don't think is true, and I would be delighted to be proven wrong on this, is I just read a lot of people saying things about the Disney Renaissance that seem to think that until... Um, until I can't even remember his name, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. Robin Gene, Williams. Robin Williams. See, he did know who I was talking about, yeah. just by my look. Robin Williams in the in in Aladdin came along. There were no A-listers in animation movies, and star performance wasn't part of the animated register. And yeah. I just demonstrably think that's not true. Peggy Lee is in this movie. She plays a dog called Peg. That's Peggy Lee. Yeah. She looks like Peggy Lee. She sounds like Peggy Lee. She sings a song that's like Peggy Lee. Yes. I mean, it's like it's Will Smith in Shark Tale. It's just she's only in it for about five minutes, but she's in the rest of the movie. She, you know, she does yeah. a song as the Siamese Cats. That's Peggy Lee. You're supposed to know that going in. Well, so Ed Wynn yeah. is in Alice in Wonderland. He's an incredibly famous comedian from the 1950s. Yeah. He starred in the Ed Wynn show on telly. Billy Joel's in Oliver and Company. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand yeah. where that perceived narrative has come from well, and, yeah. and, and and I can't help think it's an invention of the studio to kind of distance itself from its early 80s catalogue as if like we're new but we're and we're cool but we're also old and we've all just sort of drunk the Kool-Aid like what again I'd be welcome to be proven wrong on this yeah. but I don't see it Disney has always incorporated star personas into animated voices perhaps it's got more explicit since the early 90s but lots of things have have slowly evolved over Disney's catalogue. I don't see this as this cataclysmic thing. Yeah. Rant over, but no, Peggy no. Lee's in the movie, everybody. So, yeah, I was going to say, so, 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 so Peggy Lee is in yeah. the film. No. So I would say, um, I, I think we, I may have mentioned this in episode two even, the, the um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode, because I think, as we know, the, well, the Disney Renaissance come, there are three factors that improve, supposedly improve the cultural standing of animation in, at this particular period. So Simpsons debuting on television, it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it's the Disney Renaissance. And those three things together, I think, created a, a visibility and also a visibility that would lead to companies and studios going, actually, animation is popular. Let's give it some money now. I think all of that has, that increased visibility has, well, let's, if these things are successful, let's figure out what, what defines them. 
And the thing that defines them is Broadway stars as a voice that lead to Aladdin, lead to Robin Williams as Aladdin. Failing to take into consideration those tropes or things that define the Disney Renaissance film aren't exclusive to the Disney Renaissance film. Um, they were just present at that particular moment. And they can be traced back in exactly the ways that you're saying. They can be traced back three years, four years before to Oliver and Company and Bette Midler, yeah. as you say, and Billy Joel. Um, so the, the features that accounted for the specificity of the Disney Renaissance aren't really specific to that period at all. And they can be traced back to, to things like Lady in the Tramp. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. I just think, like, and actually, the mu- like these musical... So that rant, not over. These musical... Well, I just think the, these yeah. musical numbers are... are our star, like, it's one of the things the film is sold on, is that the, yep. the appearance of Peggy Lee in the movie yep. in a variety of different guises. I think perhaps I would I would accept that perhaps she's marginalised in the movie and she operates very much as kind of, you know, Broadway stars and, and vaudeville stars sometimes doing like 1940s musicals where they just kind of come in, do their act. Actually, often black actors, right? Yeah. Come in, do their act and then disappear again because there's no space for them in the plot. But... I, I don't the perennial know. problem with musicals and integration of course yeah, narrative yeah, and spectacle yeah, yeah. Um, and no I, I yeah I, I agree I think and the fact that Pe- the Peggy Lee in order to in order to kind of justify her presence sort of gives her you can do three different songs as yes. three different characters yes. uh, and we'll just we'll just multiply your presence across the film what's the difference between that and uh, the genie playing as Jack Nicholson as whoever it is, Ed Sullivan or whoever. Um, There's a multiplication of Peggy Lee's stardom that manages to to manifest into, yes, into the the motherly human figure, these very problematic C and Am um, Siamese, which as soon as the first few bars of the song came in, I didn't really know what to do. But there's, again, there's obviously something very interesting about Orientalism and, and the way that the Orient is viewed as exotic and and conniving actually in this in this yeah. film and, and dubious yeah, yeah. and underhand yeah. which is doesn't sit sit particularly well um yeah. and, then and, of course, and non-individualistic and non and all yeah it's all it's awful it's yeah um yeah Pe- peggy lee also co-wrote the songs yes i didn't know that so she wrote the songs in the movie as well she's all so. over this film but so, um but it was robin williams that created the star voices <laughs> thing just to she also wrote the music and the lyrics for Johnny Guitar, which isn't relevant, but I thought I'd mention so, it. Well, you say it isn't relevant. It, it's, a, it's a melodramatic Western. So it sure. says, says things about... Um, class and gender and race, probably. Yeah, but, it's been a while since I've seen Johnny Guitar. Yeah. I know I'm supposed to have seen yeah, yeah. it hundreds of times. Yeah, yeah. You're a film person, yeah, for goodness yeah, 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 yeah. sake. So what else have we got? So uh, uh, a bit of race, a bit of class. Don't know why the Uncle Tom's Cabin poster is... Yeah, well spotted. I'd never spotted that before. What the, is going the, the, on? The Italian restaurant, the hatch that, they, that seems to function as a drive through window for the dogs, yeah. has an Uncle, um, Uncle Tom's Cabin poster yep. clearly yep. playing in the local theatre. Yep. What? Yep. And, and this maybe goes back to our hasty googling before the, the the recording which is when was this film made but also crucially when was it set yeah and the and there's some of the tensions within that um i guess setting the i mean in 1909 it would have been a very popular i mean it was a popular novel in yeah. um in the 1950s but that doesn't it's a it's a i mean it's probably i don't know a coincidence a um 
a useful way of thinking through the unthinking racism that that is pervasive throughout the movie. Uh, one of the one and more of them. Yeah, I'll tell you how we. I, unless you've got any other, I'm looking across my notes. Uh, I, I only have one. I have one one two sentence, which is uh, just a little flag up that the film was directed by three. I would say big hitters of Disney feature animation. Yeah, have we so, talked about these three before? No, well, not really. Clyde Geronimi, uh, Wilfred Jackson. So Wilfred Jackson um, directed the first short to use the multiplane camera. So the old mill. It's okay. the same year as, as Snow White. Um, and then Hamilton Lusk. So these are sort of, I mean, Clyde Geronimi, to, to, and this is perhaps true of all three of them, um, he's one of those filmmakers that is sort of in many ways synonymous with, with Disney as a studio, um, not just in shorts in the 30s, but sort of feature-length duties. Um, and these are all, these directed all the other films. Oh, Geronimi. So Geronimi well. directed um, Dumbo, Bambi, yeah. The Three Calaberos, Make My Music, Melody Time, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. So these are... These are all very different styles, but helmed by the same people. Well, we often don't... That's the other interesting thing about Disney is that we don't often talk about the directorial... It's like like Bond movies. We've had this discussion where Bond movies, because they're sort of bigger than the directors, it's like footballers as well, no, yeah. no player is bigger than the team. But because of the way that auteurism works or doesn't work or is not understood to work in the Bond franchise, as well as maybe the Disney feature animated canon, the, the periods that often demarcate Disney animation history are often anchored to the repeating work of certain directors. We've spoken to, to Ron Clements and John Musker about their work in a particular 80s, 90s period of the Renaissance. Yeah. Same kind of Geronimi, Jackson and Lusk, you could definitely argue, are central to a kind of golden age mm -hmm. period. And even more recently, um, Byron Howard, I'd say is a probably good example, as a director of Encanto and worked on many, many others. Right. Um, Gary Truesdale, Kirk Wise, working at a similar period to, mm -hmm. to Clements and Musker. So we can... Let's not forget that Disney's animated features were directed by people. Sure, I think. sure. No, that's um, fair. I think that's fair. Um, I the only thing like, the sequence we haven't really mentioned, and I don't know if we've got anything interesting. It's not the to say uh, about Siamese it. cat one, is it? We definitely <laughs> mentioned that. Is the zoo sequence? Uh, I don't know if I've got anything particular to say about it, but the fact that your face just did that, yeah. listeners, um, means that means that we should probably mention it. It's a weird sequence. There's a sequence where they go to the zoo. Lady's got a muzzle on. Yes, uh, and they need to get the muzzle taken off. Why don't they just go back to the Italian restaurant and they can use some scissors? I don't know. Can't, yeah, can't use knives and forks. We've just seen them try and eat spaghetti no-handed. So, but uh, but they go to the, the thing and then they go through this parade of animals, don't they? What can we use to get this? Um, yep. Uh, what this muzzle off? They go to an alligator who they just suddenly decide is not the best person to consult. They go to some apes and oh. they say the sentence, "Oh, not them." They're too much like humans. They won't understand yeah, us, yeah, which yeah. is an interesting thing to say about anthropomorphism. And, yeah. and again, is it that the humans don't understand dogs, so these apes won't understand dogs because they're too like humans? Mm. That interesting line. And then they end up talking to a beaver who becomes uh, the gopher character in Winnie the Pooh. If you watch <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, they're the same, they're the same yeah. character. Yeah. And they perform a kind of Mark Twain-esque, um, uh, you know, trickster... Thing where they both he's streetwise what can yeah, you say yeah, yeah. I, uh, other than summarising that that thing is in the movie do we have anything else to say about I, I have two things to say about Go it on. one is I can't believe you forgot the hyena the amount of zoos oh, yeah. the amount of zoos I've been to with the hyena yeah, yeah, yeah. laughing away oh I can count them on none uh, sure. no fingers yeah. um, I, I suppose the second thing it, it may be making a point around the pound and cake the, the animal that helps them isn't isn't from, the beaver isn't from the zoo the beaver is just 
yes. meandering around. Yes. Um, so Trump is more at home chatting to these wild, quote-unquote, yeah. wild animals who are just meandering well, around. I, they really are meandering around. There's a bit where the beaver, like, knocks down a tree like, onto the pathway in this zoo. Yeah. And this is all, oh, yeah, fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's you know, let's... And, and there's a sign outside the zoo that says, no dogs allowed. There you go. There you go. Forbidden. Race and class. Forbidden, Forbidden zones. Yes. Um, I quite like the fact that there's a lot of... There's a lot of characters in yeah. this film. There are, and yeah. I like that about it, Yes, um, and that can sometimes overwhelm the eponymous Lady and the Tramp, but I don't think it does. There's some quite nice little character character things going on. So the um, jock, of course, and then this, this bloodhound trusty that supposedly lost his, his smell but yeah. ends up saving the day. Yeah, and just little... Yeah, yeah, and because of his grandpappy, all reliable, used to say, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. I suppose the only other comment I've got about the film, I don't know how we're doing for... Um, time but uh the children now i was led to believe that if a let's say a donkey and a dragon had children yes. they would be half dragon and half donkey that's sure. how shrekers well well tramp is called a mongrel in, so, the, in the movie but then in the then the way that the the way that this works is that we and this is where the film's surprising as i said i didn't think the tramp was going to be to obtain his collar yeah, he wasn't going to have Andy written on his foot, and that's and the, I would argue that surprise is part of what I'm saying. It's kind of the, the ideological failings, yeah. and therefore the potential to read a more subversive version of this movie is that 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 ending doesn't feel earned. It feels weird and tacked but on. He's and just false. spent yeah, he spent the film trying to extol the virtues of a particular way yes. of life, but seems very happy to to he seems very happy, not only very happy to 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 leave that life behind, but when and this is literally the last minute or so of the film, where the owners look out the window and essentially kind of intimate that there are dogs collected outside. I thought it was going to be the other ones from the pound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't. It no. was the same The same dogs from the neighbourhood that are... Yeah, that it, would be the ending that... Well, that would that would be an ending that you would think would make even some sense. It's the bringing together of the two worlds, Yeah, but, it? it's, but it's... And if this was done now, it would be just as clunky, but then there'd be a, a final shot of Lady and Tramp like running out of the dog and running up some fields and going out and the owners are letting them go off and they're yeah, not muzzled. Kate Bush playing. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that would be the... It would zoom out and they'd be running into the fields that he points out. Yeah. You know? And that would be the, oh, it's have your cake and eat it. They've got a home, they've got a family, but they can also run and play. And, you yeah, know. It's, it's, very, it's very problematic because the... Because there isn't that. There's no sense that there is a meeting of two worlds. It's just that Trump becomes Trump has had it lucky because he was mis both misunderstood and yeah. presumably the parents worked out that he was the true protector of their lovely child. Yes, and he got into the house. They had children where all the boys look like him <laughs> and all the girls look like her, yeah. and there's yeah. no donkey dragon sure. hybridity. Um, and so I just that that felt very. I didn't think that's where the film was going. Yes. I thought it was going to create a bigger message around... But, but then, of course, that's where the film is going, because yeah. it's a film from 1955. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, I mean, it wasn't going to end with uh, Lady getting... The, cla the of, clash. Lady getting impounded. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Okay, I mean, the final coda to say, and it's just going to take a sentence, is that we are aware this film got remade, Neither of us have seen it, and we can't be bothered. No, it's it speaks to us, and we'd like. I mean, we'd like to have. We've done one of the remakes. So we've done Aladdin. Um, yes, we'd like to. I think there are bigger discussions around the quote-unquote live-action label that is applied to Do these kinds of remakes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, but sure. yeah, this. The, but also, I suppose, a bigger industrial set of cogs that are whirring around. The kinds of movies that choose to be remade, the ones that are kept behind the quote-unquote vault door. 
the classics, all the kinds of debates that we've had around Disney, I think, previously, which ones are used to generate a particular version of the the studio's history. So, um, yeah, first time I'd seen Lady and the Tramp, probably won't see the live-action remake, but the scholar in me may tip that the other way and I may watch it. But, well, um, we've got to keep doing this podcast, Chris, so, you know, in 10 years' time, we're running out of fancy <laughs> animations and we'll be back yes. here doing it If again. I know the way that Nash- Hollywood and all national cinemas yeah, work, we'll, uh, we, right. we'll, we'll run out of films for sure, so yeah. we might have to do the remake, correct? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, well, let's hope that day never comes. Yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, that's probably enough for today, Yeah, I think. yeah. Um, happy Valentine's, everyone. Go and enjoy your spaghetti. Um... This has been Fantasy Animation. You can find us at fantasy-animation.org. Um, get in touch at fancy uh, at fan. Get in touch at fan and in research f a n a n i. Get in touch at fan and in research f a n a n i m research at gmail.com and let us know suggestions for future footnote episodes. Did we go on about the Hollywood Renaissance too much? Do you need us to unpack what that means? We mentioned intersectionality a lot. That's kind of a you know a slightly loaded time term. Should we do an episode on that? Or do you have any questions? about how Lady walks on all fours and why she doesn't stand up at every point despite the fact she seems to be able to read English. Uh, all from the, <laughs> from, the, from the banal to the spectacular, we will consider all questions and we'll record our, those micro-episodes in between the podcasts yep. uh, when we've got the time to keep them coming in. Um, also, you can co- take part in the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FanAnimResearch. That's F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research. Um, otherwise, Chris, that's been us for another week yeah. and we'll see everyone next time. Bye. Bye.